Go ahead and turn to Psalm 78. Psalm 78. If you have walked into our children's building before, which I would guess that most everyone in this room has, um, you might have noticed two verses on the walls of the children's building. Anybody tell me what one of those verses is? Oh, you don't pay attention. One of them is from Psalm 78. It's, uh, it's found above the Welcome Center, Psalm 78, verse 4. One is from 2 Timothy 3, by the stairwell. You can look for that the next time you're in there. Uh, but tonight we're going to consider the context of that verse from Psalm 78. Now, Psalm 78 is the second longest psalm in, uh, in the Psalter behind Psalm 119, so you probably won't get much small group time. No, just kidding. Um, we, uh, we will not cover the whole psalm. I'd encourage you to read the rest of it, but we're going to focus on the first eight verses as we continue our study of parenting through the Bible. What we're doing this year, as you may recall, or if this is your first time with us, is we're just taking various passages in the Scriptures that relate to or address issues of parenting, and we're studying those passages. And we're going in order from Genesis through Second uh, Timothy will be the last, uh, last passage that we study. Some of them are very directly addressed to parents. Some of them are more related to ministry to the next generation. And some have just a larger framework of, of God's instruction for family. So we started in Genesis 2. We saw God establish the family. The family was His idea. Marriage as a good gift from God, resulting in children who are raised in that context to be sent out to marry, to start their own family as well. We, we continued to see sin's destruction in chapter 3, how, how sin takes what God made good and twists and mars it. Marriage is now difficult. There are consequences of sin in our families that, that we have to face, and, and yet there's hope even in Genesis 3 of the coming Savior of, of forgiveness and reconciliation in the Gospel. We then went to Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments, and we saw that the, the priority of worshiping God rightly, and if we fail to do that, it reminded us that there are consequences for the coming generations. Think of it as our worship is contagious. What we worship and how we worship, our children are likely to catch that. And they're not doomed to, to do it the way that we did, but they are likely to be influenced by us. And so our sins, our lack of worship, will likely show up in the subsequent generations. We continue to Deuteronomy 6 and saw God's Real clear instruction to parents to love him, to be dwelling on his word, and then informally and formally to be communicating the truth of God's word to the next generation. All that God told Moses to teach the people, they were to pass along to their children. And then we saw the, really their, their failure to do that in Joshua 24 and Judges 2. Last time we were reminded how quickly a generation can be lost. That a generation that knows God but is, is not intentional and faithful to instruct the next generation, easily there can arise a generation who doesn't know God and who's not faithful to Him. And so we must resolve to serve the one true God ourselves and to lead our families to the degree that we are able to serve that one true God as well. 
As long as our kids are in our home, there are things they will do and not do as we seek to influence and shape them. And so tonight we come to the first of several psalms that we will consider. Psalms that connect our heart of worship with a passion to see the next generation worship. A a call to us to pass the baton to the next generation of the knowledge knowledge of God that, that we have received. So I want us to think tonight about passing the baton to the next generation. The truth of God that we know imparting that to the next generation with the goal that they would ultimately worship the Lord. You know, in high school, I was a, a distance runner. Um, in track, I ran the mile and I ran the 4 by 800 meter relay. And uh, the relay team, you know, one of the most important aspects of a relay team is, is the ability to pass the baton. It's not so important in distance relays, but especially in a sprint, if you lose time on that, that baton pass, you're likely to lose the race. And even on a, a long distance relay, if you mess up the baton pass, you may be disqualified or the result may be that you lose. One drop or missed handoff can result in disqualification or, or losing the race. And, and so it is with us. We must be faithful to pass the baton to the next generation and faithful to receive the baton from the generation before us. That's really the message of this psalm. It's a, a teaching psalm. If you look at, at uh, the title of it in, there's, in your Bibles, it says it's a mascal of Asaph. Asaph was one of the chief musicians in the time of David. He wrote a number of psalms, and, and this one is a masculine, likely a, a teaching psalm. When you start reading this psalm, you, you see that it sounds almost more like it belongs in the book of Proverbs. He says, listen, O my people, to my instruction. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. Like, wait a minute, I thought we were singing to God. Well, Here, we're singing in a way that instructs the people. The majority of this psalm is actually a history lesson. If you pick up in verse 9 and read to the end of the the chapter, you get a a window into a period of Israel's history. That time period where they were transitioning to the the monarchy as they were led out of of Egypt and and the the choosing of the tribe of Judah as the, the tribe that would be the, the leader of the nation. But the first part of this psalm focuses not on the past generations and learning from them, but on the importance of passing on those lessons to the coming generation. We need that reminder as well that we are to look backwards, learning from those who've come before us, and we are to look forwards to the coming generation intentionally passing along the truth of God to them. You know, it's easy to be pretty self-focused, isn't it? To just think about ourselves, even in the context of parenting, to think about how our kids affect us, how they impact our world and our lives, and to want them to be different for our sake. The Scriptures say, no, we need to focus on the coming generation because we care about them, and ultimately because we care about God and His glory. This psalm is, is directing us to think higher thoughts of God and to pass those along to the coming generation. It begins with the importance of passing the baton. The importance of instructing the coming generation. As I mentioned, it's, it starts in verse 1. Listen to my instruction. 
incline your ears to the words of my mouth. This sounds like a parent talking to their child, doesn't it? Like, hey, listen closely to me right now. You know, when you get your kid's attention, maybe they're running by and they're not really listening and you like put both hands on the side of their heads and you make them look at you and you're like, go pick up your shoes or whatever because you want them to get the message. That's what he's doing. He's saying, listen, this is important. He says, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. He's, he's saying, I'm, I'm about to give you a story. It's a history story and we're going to draw some lessons from that. And these are things, verse 3 says, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. What's he saying? He's saying, we've learned these things and therefore we have a responsibility to pass these along to the coming generation. We've received the baton. Don't mess it up. Make sure you're not the leg who fails to pass the baton to the next one. You don't want to be that person on a relay. You don't want to be the one who dropped the baton. You want to be faithful in, in what you have to do. He says our fathers told us, and, and it wasn't just a good idea for them to tell us. It wasn't like they just said, yeah, no, I think maybe we should share these things with others. It was God's intent that this happened. In fact, if you look down at verse 5, he says this, God had commanded our fathers that they should teach their children. See, God didn't just suggest it. He commanded them. And we've looked at some of those texts already, like Deuteronomy 6, where God clearly commanded the, the, the current generation to teach the coming generation. You see that in places like the Passover, where God commanded them, celebrate the Passover and do it so that when your children ask you, what does this mean? You get to teach them the truth of that. God commanded this. And, and He's using... Fathers here a little more generally than just parent-child, although certainly that's in view, but it's really the responsibility of, of an entire generation to pass along these truths to the next. Guys, this matters. It's important. It's how we learn the truth. Someone passed it along to us. It's commanded of God, and we have a stewardship responsibility to pass it along. What's it look like to pass the baton? What's the nature of of passing the baton, of instructing the next generation. Notice verse 4, the, the, the first part says, we will not conceal them from their children. We won't conceal what our fathers have told us, have passed along to us, particularly in God's Word in the psalm and, and other scriptures, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wondrous works that He has done. If we are going to be faithful to the next generation, it means we first must be careful not to conceal the truth of God from them. Not to hide it. Not to make it disappear. Not to cover it up. You know, I would hope that none of you here tonight would say, yes, I want to conceal the truth of God from my children. I hope you would all say, no, it's the last thing I want to do. But obviously he warns them, don't conceal it. So I think certainly we need to, to not um, actively conceal the truth, but I think we have to guard against inadvertently concealing the truth from the next generation. How do we do that? Well, it may be simply by not caring enough to tell them. Maybe we know, yeah, we should do that, 
but there's just other things in our life and in our world that are screaming more loudly, that seem more important to us. I mean, even the, the Advent stuff that we talked about tonight, again, no, no shame in having to catch up a few days, no shame in, in missing some time. I mean, that's, that's life. But, but in that season of Christmas, how easy is it to get so busy doing all sorts of other things, even good things, and neglect to take time to focus on God's Word? Don't conceal it by, by getting distracted by other things or, or by not loving Christ and His Word as we ought. That's why Deuteronomy 6 didn't start with talk to your kids about these things. It started with these words shall be on your own heart and then you shall teach them to them. You know, sometimes we can conceal the truth of God by not communicating the whole story to them as well. We might talk about God we might talk about him, though, in a way that is only part of the truth about God. Frankly, this is an a, a, a issue in a lot of materials that are written um, for children today under the umbrella of Christian publishing, is, is that they tell part of the story. You know, Maybe it's the part of the story about Jesus loves you and God made you special, which is true, but that's not the full story about God as Creator who's holy, <laughs> And you are not only special, you are a sinner who has rebelled against God, who deserves His judgment. And so God's grace, God's love is far more amazing than it, than it sounds against the backdrop of a holy God that we have offended. Again, we want to be age-appropriate in talking to our kids. You know, there's a, there's a reason that Song of Solomon isn't in our children's Sunday school curriculum. Um, at least it, it wasn't. Maybe Joe's going to add it. I don't know. Um, <laughs> But, you know, it's not that we have to tell every kid everything at every age about all of, uh, of the Scriptures, but we want to communicate the truth of God in its entirety to them so they get an accurate picture of who God is. We don't need to sugarcoat the Scriptures. The story of Noah isn't just about animals and boats. It's about a holy God and man's sin, about death and faith and salvation. And, and we want to help our kids as they grow to understand the truth of Him. So don't conceal the truth from them. Rather, be intentional. Be careful to declare the truth of God to them. And what does he say we're to declare? He says, tell them the praises of the Lord. The glory, the excellence, the majesty of the Lord. The fact that God is worthy of our worship and why He is so. The fact that He's distinct from us, that He's the Creator and we're creatures, that He's holy and we're sinners, that He deserves all the glory, that the spotlight should be on Him. That's why it makes sense in the Psalms for the psalmist to be praising God and say, man, we got to tell this to the next generation as well. God is worthy of worship. That's what we're to declare to the coming generation, the, the praises of the Lord and His strength, he goes on. We specifically speak of His power and His sovereign rule and reign. God is a mighty God. He's the Almighty and we tell of His wondrous works. Tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wondrous works that He has done. The, the marvelous, amazing acts of God from creation to the flood and the plagues in Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, the miraculous provision for His people. This psalm recounts many of those things. 
it continues the scriptures revealing all of the mighty acts, the wondrous works of God. And, and we continue to see those in our own lives. God's display of faithfulness and power. We need to pass that baton. If you know God is praiseworthy and mighty and He has done great things, you have a responsibility like I do to declare that to the next generation. Don't quit running your leg of the relay. Tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wondrous works that He has done. Well, why should we do that? Why should we be intentional to teach the next generation? Well, thirdly, let's consider briefly the goal of passing the baton in verses 5-8. through eight, this, is, this is one long sentence from verse 5 through verse 8. And it, it really um, encompasses the goal of this instruction. We see first that one of our goals is that every future generation, that the future generations will know the truth. Look at verse 5. He says, For he established a testimony in Jacob, and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children. Why? That the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children. He says, you are commanded to do this. God gave the Scriptures, so that, and he commanded that we should teach them, so that the generation to come might know, and even the children yet to be born, and that those people would tell their children. It's a little unclear exactly how many generations are there, but it's more than one. He's saying you tell the generation to come so that the future generations and their kids will know also. Do you think that way? You know, do you think about your kids' kids and your kids' kids' kids knowing the truth because you were faithful to pass that along to them? That's our goal, is that every future generation will know the truth. Fathers telling them to their children so that the children who haven't been born might know and someday tell their children as well. But it's not just about the transmission of head knowledge. It's not so that your grandkid or your great-grandkid gets all the questions right in Sunday school. We want them to know the truth. But more than simply knowing the truth, we want, secondly, that every future generation, that future generations will be impacted by the truth. Look at verse 7. We want them to know, and we want their kids and their kids' kids to know, so that, verse 7, that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God but keep His commandments and not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. He, he first puts it positively. What's it look like to be impacted with the truth of God? Well, he says first that they would hope in God. That they would put their confidence, their reliance, their hope and trust in God. What do we desire for our kids as they learn more about the greatness and the wonder and the might of God? That they respond by putting their confidence and trust in Him. They recognize Him as God. They embrace Him 
by faith. Obviously, this doesn't flesh out all that is coming with the the Messiah and and repentance and believing the gospel, but it's the precursor to that, hoping and trusting in God as the one who would provide a way to be saved. We know that way to be saved. It's through the Lord Jesus Christ. We want future generations to trust in God and in His Son, Jesus Christ. We want them, secondly, to remember the works of God. He says that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God. We don't want them to grow up and get distracted by all the other things life has to offer such that they forget this God. We want them to be constantly and consistently meditating on the truth of God and what He's done, both of which lead to obeying the commandments of God. They hope in God. They trust Him. They remember and meditate on who He is and what He's done. And that produces the fruit of obedience. That they would keep His commandments. One commentator says this is a threefold chord of faith as personal trust, informed and humble thinking, and an obedient will. That's the goal for your kids. The goal is more than head knowledge. It's more than passing a true-false test. John Piper put it this way, he said, what we want from the next generation is not just heads full of right facts about the works of God, we want heads full of right facts and hearts that burn with the fire of love for the God of those facts. That's what we want. Now, can you do that in your kid's heart? You can't. You are dependent on the Lord to light that fire, but you can pack in the wood and you can model what that looks like You can demonstrate through your example what it looks like to passionately worship and love this God. We want them to hope in God, to remember the works of God, to obey the commands of God. Negatively, he says, we want them to not be like their fathers, not like the generations before which are recorded in the rest of this psalm. What were they like? Well, it says they were a stubborn and rebellious generation. They were stubbornly rebellious against God. They said, we know better. We we want what we want. We're going to think how we want to think. How did they get there? How did they get to be a stubborn and rebellious generation? Well, it says they were a generation that did not prepare its heart. They were hard-hearted before God. They, They had an uncultivated heart. Rather than preparing it, than than tending to their heart and being humble before the Lord, they became callous towards the things of God. They hardened their heart, they wanted what they wanted, and they rebelled and rejected God. You know, every individual is responsible for their own heart before the Lord, but I do think we play a role as parents and as members of the church in in how our kids are likely to respond to the things of God. One of the reasons I think some develop a, a careless attitude towards God or a callous attitude towards God is because all they've seen is a, a weak view of God and people living out a, a trivial perspective of Him and so that's how they think of God. It's kind of like a... Uh, a vaccine with just a little bit of dead or weakened virus in it. You get a little bit of exposure and it keeps you from the real thing. You know, I think kids can be inoculated from the truth of God if they hear just enough about Him to kind of give them that immune response 
so that they never see or embrace the real thing. That's why many who grew up in churches all across America walk away. They got a weakened version of the Gospel and God's glory. They rarely saw those truths impact lives as they ought, but they've become commonplace. I've heard it before and I, I already know those truths. May that never be true of us. May we model the reality of, of what it means to worship and serve and prioritize God as He ought. It ought to be. We won't do it perfectly, but may, we, may that be the pursuit of our life. Now, I'm sobered by these words of John Engel James. He said, To some parents I would give this advice. Say less about religion to your children or else manifest more of its influence. It's a powerful quote. Don't, stop talking about it if you're not going to demonstrate the reality in your life. Now that's not really an option. You need to talk about it. You just need to demonstrate the reality in your life. This was a stubbornly rebellious, hard-hearted generation, and as a result, they were unfaithful to God. Verse 8 continues, whose spirit was not faithful to God. They didn't worship Him as He deserved. They didn't obey Him. If you read the rest of this psalm, you'll see that they failed to remember the works of God. They failed to trust in the provision of God. They failed to keep their covenant with God. They failed to remember the salvation of God. They failed to worship the Most High God. And yet, in spite of all of that, this psalm ends with the faithfulness of God. God continued to be faithful to them. In many ways, that's, that's exactly our testimony. If you're in Christ, it's you spurn God, and yet God was faithful to you. God pursued you and loved you, gave His Son for you, and drew you to Himself. That is the mighty work of God in our lives. Yes, truly, we have much to declare to the generation to come regarding the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wondrous works that He has done. We need to be faithful to dwell on those things, to learn and apply these lessons ourselves that we are putting our confidence in the Lord, that we are, are not forgetting the works of God, but being obedient to Him in our lives, that we're not being stubborn and rebellious and unfaithful to the Lord in any aspect of our life. And to be faithful then to pass that baton to the next generation. You know, that really starts as families, doesn't it? It starts with us as fathers impacting our children with the truth of God's Word. That's the command that we saw back in Deuteronomy 6. That's what's pictured here. And it really shouldn't be a chore. My wife and I were talking about this earlier today. You know, he, he instructs us, He commands us to do this, but if we love something, if we are passionate about it, we're going to be excited to tell our kids about that, to impact them, to pass that along. I think so often what is revealed is that we're not as excited about the things of the Lord as we'd like to think we are sometimes. And we've got to humble ourselves before the Lord and repent and, and cultivate this mindset ourselves so that we can pass that along to our kids. Aren't you thankful, though, that it's not just about us as parents, but that God has given the church to come alongside and to be a, a participant in reinforcing these truths together? You know, our church... The children's ministries, the youth ministries of our church are committed to coming alongside us as parents and to, to holding up a high view of God as well. 
we want that for our kids, and we should be thankful for that. And, and you might even consider serving and loving other people's kids in those ways as, as you have opportunity. You know, it's even just in our informal interaction. You know, some of your kids are maybe young enough that they haven't been in the worship service uh, yet, but once, once you take them there and they're, they're sitting next to you and they're watching like 900 people singing uh, out loud in a room and it's like, where do they see this in other contexts? I mean, maybe like a sporting event is kind of, you know, lots of people excited about the Cowboys or whatever, uh, but they're getting to see there's a reason we come to church and we sing to this God and we study this book and, and I'm sitting here and as a, you know, a six-year-old and I'm bored out of my mind, but this seems important to everybody else and they're learning these things and they're seeing that impact. So even informally, when you sing in church, when you have your, are studying your Bible, you are modeling for the coming generation, this is worth it. God is worthy. We want to be faithful to pass that baton to take the truth we have received about how great God is that we have been entrusted with and to not conceal it from the next generation, not conceal it from our children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wondrous works that He's done. You know, we put that verse in the children's building on purpose. I hope the next time you walk in, just glance up. You can say hi to Chip still, but glance up and see that verse and make a habit of when you walk in that building glance up and be reminded that this is what God's called us to he's worthy of this and and this should be our heartbeat to to declare his praises to the coming generation let's pray together our father we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us we don't deserve to know you we don't deserve to have a relationship with you through Christ, and yet you've done that by your grace. And, and Lord, we're thankful for that ourselves, and we recognize the stewardship you've given us to pass this along to the next generation. And Lord, even as we've um, heard tonight, as we approach the, the holiday seasons, we pray that we would be faithful in those ways. Lord, that you would help us to live as though you are most important to us, that our kids might see that you are worthy of praise. Lord, help us to be faithful and humble before you, not to be stubborn and, and to be unfaithful to you, but help us to model those who, whose confidence is wholly placed in you, who trust you regardless of what we face. To model remembering your works and, and keeping your commandments so that the next generation can see us and surpass us in those things. Lord, we pray that the coming generation in, in each of the families here would surpass us in their knowledge of you, but not simply their head knowledge, but in their devotion to you for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.